Welcome to The Chain, the podcast exploring the lives, careers, research, and discoveries of protein engineers, scientists, and biotech professionals. We look at the impact their work is having on the field and where the industry is headed. Tune in to stay up to date on the newest advancements and to hear the stories that are impacting the world of biologics. I'm Nimish Gera, your host for today's episode of The Chain. And it's my pleasure today to introduce Dr. Greg Thurber, who's an associate professor in chemical engineering at the University of Michigan and runs his own lab on imaging agent design, drug distribution, and peptide engineering. Welcome to The Chain, Greg. All right. Thank you, Namish. And I'm excited to speak with you about some of our work today. Uh, as you mentioned, our, our lab works on a range of molecules, including imaging agents, peptides, and biologics. Uh, but if I had to boil down our work to a single question, it would be, how do the molecular properties of a drug, whether it's a small molecule, peptide, or biologic, how do they impact the distribution and targeting in the body across a multiple range of scales, from the whole body down to the subcellular distribution? And really, more importantly, how can we use this information to more rapidly and cost-efficiently design effective therapeutics? So in practice, this means our lab uses a combination of computer simulations to predict the drug distribution and efficacy. And then we combine this with in vivo imaging and treatment to quantify these results experimentally and then compare to our predictions. So ultimately, this allows us to apply the simulations to design more effective therapeutics. And because these simulations are able to handle biologics like antibodies and small molecules, we've spent a lot of time recently working on the design of antibody drug conjugates or ADCs, which combine these two modalities. Thanks, Greg. That, that's really exciting work. And um, as you know, I, I'm also working in the field of ADCs, and I'm I'm amazed by the progress in the field in the last few years. As you uh, know already that there are now 12 ADCs on the market, but five years ago, it wasn't uh, such a rosy picture. And I wanted to know from you, as you've been in the field for some time, What's been your experience over the last few years watching this field grow and the ups and downs in the ADC field? Sure, it's it's been uh, quite the uh, the roller coaster ride uh, for ADCs over over their full history. Uh, but it's really great that they're finally starting to have this this broad impact on patients, uh, which is fantastic to see. Um, you know, I, I think the ADC story is quite a, a fascinating story. So if you dig into the literature, the, the development of ADCs actually predates monoclonal antibodies. So some of the first mouse experiments were done back in the 1950s, where they chemically conjugated drugs to gamma globulins. Uh, these were actually from hamsters that were immunized with mouse tumors. And so what was even more surprising to me digging into the history is that Less than 15 years later, there was another chemotherapy gamma globulin conjugate that went into the clinic and uh, went into several melanoma patients. And, and from one of those studies, they actually found that one patient had all of their metastatic nodules regress. So there's been a, a long history going back you know, many decades. Now, the field really didn't get started until the advent of monoclonal antibodies, uh, and that's when the field really took off. So the first monoclonal antibody ADC went into patients in 1983. And then multiple companies in the 1980s and 1990s were investing in bringing these drugs to market. So finally in 2000, the field got its first FDA approval with the drug Mylotard. And this is in a hematological indication. So 
with uh, these types of uh, cancers, both the or the drug has a lot better access to the cells, and then also the cells can be a little bit more sensitive to some of these chemotherapeutics. Uh, but it was a really great start. Um, now, in some sense, this was a bit of a false start, though. Uh, and AD, uh, ADCs took another hit when myelotarg was actually withdrawn uh, temporarily in, in 2009. So getting into uh, the last decade, Cadsila uh, was approved in 2013, and this was the first approval in solid tumors. So that was very exciting to see. Uh, however, that drug, which is a fantastic drug, it was able to help many patients, but it had some questions on how it was actually working. So this drug is based on trastuzumab, and it was definitely working as an ADC because the, the payload was contributing to its efficacy, but many people often wondered well, how much of its effectiveness was from the magic of trastuzumab, which is a great drug in and of itself, versus the addition of this payload. So then in and in the, the mid 2010s, uh, there were some notable failures. And this is actually when I started to get into the field. Uh, and there were several companies that were starting to pull out uh, of that field. And I was just starting my lab at the time. I was a young professor. And I, frankly, I was wondering, is this a good area to be working in? Uh, you know, I was confident our, our approach could help. But if there were uh, pharmaceutical companies pulling out, the question was, are we even going to get to the chance to test some of these ideas? Uh, so things were, were looking pretty gloomy at that point. But I would say this is when it turns into a comeback story for the field. Uh, just, so uh, despite all these clinical failures, a few more FDA approvals came along for hematological cancers. And then three ADCs for solid tumors were approved within several months of each other. Uh, and the field really started to pick up steam. So more recently, within the past three or four years, there were seven new approvals. Uh, we had another one last year. So this is a very exciting time to be on the field. And you know, with these multiple approved drugs, it's also helpful because now we can compare and contrast and really start to, to learn and figure out what are the key features to designing successful ADCs. And I think we're going to see this and be able to uh, leverage these approvals uh, to develop more drugs uh, even uh, uh, more efficiently. And so that's where the field stands today. Thanks, Greg, for that explanation. Uh, I wasn't aware that ADCs uh, were around even before monoclonal antibodies, so that's quite fascinating. Um, I, I completely agree with you on the point that several years ago, a lot of pharmaceutical companies were pulling out of the field, and you know that was around the time when uh, our company, Mythic Therapeutics, was started. And you know, back in uh, 2016, 2017, it wasn't a good idea to start an ADC company. So it's it's uh, very fascinating and gratifying to see where the field has come so far. And like you mentioned, uh, not only ADCs for hematological targets, but for a lot of solid tumors, which is which is very, very exciting. So I guess uh, switching gears a little bit here, you mentioned earlier that your lab works on the molecular properties of, of antibodies and, and proteins and looking specifically into ADCs. So I guess uh, if you were to describe some of the key learnings uh, that you have uh, seen over the last few years that you've been in this field, what would you say those are? And uh, maybe as a second part, what has been your lab's approach to improving the activity or the delivery of ADC? So uh, it's a two-part question, maybe starting off first with uh, what are some of the exciting uh, uh, things in the field and then uh, going from there into how would you improve the activity or delivery of ADCs? 
Sure. So I, I think uh, one of the things that our lab has noticed more recently is the importance of, of tissue penetration and, and really distributing the drugs uh, evenly throughout the tumors, primarily for solid tumors. And so solid tumor indications are more prevalent, uh, but they're also a, a tougher uh, cancer to treat. And so the delivery of these agents into the tumor uh, is one of the key features. And I think the key feature that has really uh, allowed us to, to break this field open and get a lot of approvals recently. There are many aspects to an ADC that have to be optimized. And the field has done a great job uh, with looking at the, the linker, developing different payloads, uh, coming up with uh, new targets. I think the combination of all of those to achieve effective tissue penetration was kind of the the final key hurdle that needed to be overcome to really allow all these approvals. And, and so looking at the distribution of these drugs within a tumor um, is something that our lab is focused on to make sure that when we deliver these drugs, they reach all the cells within a solid tumor. And in fact, if you look at the approved agents um, for solid tumors, that's one of the things that they're able to achieve that some of the previous drugs um, were not able to overcome. So that's been kind of the focus of our lab, and that can uh, gets to uh, your second question, what is our lab's uh, approach to developing these agents? Uh, and I think we started out with a somewhat unique approach where we combine these computational simulations with molecular imaging. So on the computational side, I call them simulations uh, because modeling I refer to when we're, you fit experimental data to, let's say, a mathematical description. And so we do some of this, uh, of course, as well. Uh, but most of the time, we're trying to take the molecular properties of a drug and predict a priori where the drugs are going to go and how effective they will be. So I can literally sit at my computer and say, for this target, here are the best antibody properties, the best drug to antibody ratio, the best payload that will ultimately give the maximum efficacy in the clinic, not just in uh, an animal model. And so these are sophisticated drugs. So they involve both small molecules and antibodies. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have training in both these areas before starting my own lab. So looking at how antibodies distribute in tumors during my PhD, and then during my postdoc, I was looking at the transient distribution of small molecule imaging agents. And that actually is very important when you start to look at the released small molecule payloads in ADCs. So we uh, can take these multi-compartment and partial differential equation models to fully capture this complex behavior. And then after these predictions, we look at um, animal models and we do in vivo imaging to track exactly where the drugs are going. Uh, both at the organ and whole animal level, but also within the tumor itself, down to the cellular and, and subcellular distribution. And really, this is where we found out that how far the drugs penetrate outside of blood vessels uh, is a key question. You know, how many cells did the drug reach? How many did it kill? Uh, and this allows us to design more uh, effective agents um, within the tumors. And so I think this has been one of the, the key approaches to allow us to design agents and allow us to scale them up to the clinic to see how effective they, they ultimately will be. Very interesting. So, um, you know, you're, you're talking about the, the concept of binding site barrier that has sort of been in the field for, for a little while. And, you know, um, being an antibody engineer, I know early on the sort of uh, approach in the field was uh, making antibodies that have the highest affinity so that they can bind really tightly and, and you know, really uh, deliver uh, the toxin right to the target. But uh, as, as you alluded to, uh, 
the the penetration of the antibodies in the ADCs inside the tumor is is also a very important consideration. So I guess from an antibody affinity perspective, I know your lab has done a lot of work on avidity versus affinity. Uh, what has sort of been your uh, biggest learnings from an affinity perspective to improve the delivery of of these ADC molecules? Sure, that, that's a great question, and I think you know one of the challenges in the, in the ADC field is there's so many different components to design, uh, and there are also many different solutions. And I, I think different solutions to to overcome the the problems uh, they need to be tailored to a particular agent. So you mentioned the binding site barrier. So uh, very briefly, this is uh, one of the facts where these drugs bind very quickly relative to their tissue penetration or diffusion rate into a tumor. So as soon as the drug escapes the blood vessel, it binds the first target it, it sees. And as you mentioned, this has been known for some time. I think back in the 1980s, John Weinstein uh, was, was looking at some of this with radiolabeled antibodies and, and looking at tumors. Uh, and but, but largely it wasn't um, implemented or, or utilized in, in drug development. And I think for several reasons. So when you're looking at monoclonal antibodies with no payload, these are often very well tolerated. And, you know, if you look at a lot of approved monoclonal antibodies, they can be given at tens of, of migs per kg. And, and frankly, IVIG therapy is, is grams per kilogram. So these drugs are very well tolerated when you don't have a payload attached. And so these are something that you can dose your way out of the problem. Uh, at a small dose, you get this, what's known as a paravascular distribution. All the drug is trapped right around blood vessels. But as you dose higher, it penetrates uh, more deeply into the tumor. With ADCs, you can't take that approach because the payload drives toxicity and you're often limited to a small amount of antibody. So one of the challenges is just the dosing of these antibodies. And there are multiple ways to overcome this. Uh, one of them, as you mentioned, is affinity. So reducing the affinity can allow that molecule to rapidly uh, release the, the target and diffuse deeper in the tumor and it kind of hops through the tumor. So that's one approach and, and people have uh, developed that to try and increase tissue penetration and it's predictable and so you can design agents uh, to overcome through affinity. There are other ways that people are, are um, uh, developing such as blocking the, uh, the paratope of the antibody, preventing it from binding uh, initially. Um, so Joe Balthasar at uh, Buffalo is uh, taking this approach our lab is really focused on the <clears throat> dosing and the DAR, the drug to antibody ratio, because if you can modify those to the point where you can deliver more antibody, you're able to reach all the cells within the tumor. And so that's the main handle that we've used. And part of the reason we focused on that, and again, it's not the only solution, but it allows you to give a higher antibody dose. And if your target has a response to the antibody, like HER2 or HER3, or you're able to get a, the antibody itself uh, through the FC domain to stimulate the immune system, then this higher antibody dose can give you multiple benefits, not just better payload distribution, but also more efficacy from the antibody itself. So that's one way we've uh, been looking at the protein engineering to design more effective tissue penetration. Great. Great. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so maybe switching gears here a little bit and talking uh, about payloads. As you know, there are a lot of payloads uh, in uh, the field now. There's been a lot of interest recently in the topoisomerase type payloads 
there's been or statins that have been in the field in the past, and then there are DNA alkylators as well. Um, so I was wondering, uh, what should people keep in mind when they're trying to match a payload with a certain type of target? And uh, have you seen in your work that certain payloads could work better for targets that maybe express higher or lower? Or would you have any recommendations on, on this? Uh, certainly, that's a great question. And I think this has been one of the keys to success in the field, matching the payload for a particular target and for a particular expression level. So just to take a quick step back, uh, going back to the, the history of ADC, some of the first payloads investigated were simply not potent enough to be effective. So things like methotrexate or doxorubicin, you can't deliver them in the quantities needed to kill a cell through an ADC. So I think this is one of the major differences with ADCs versus small molecules. Uh, one way I put this is that there's, there's a speed limit on the delivery of the payload to cells with ADCs. So small molecules, they typically diffuse passively into the cells. So if you want 100 times more drug, uh, then you can give 100 times the dose. You get uh, a 100-fold higher concentration and more drug in the cell. But with ADCs, you're limited by the number of receptors per cell and the rate at which they internalize. And so once you've saturated the, the cell, you've really reached that speed limit. And if that's not enough to get uh, an, enough of your payload into the cell to kill it, then you're pretty much out of luck. So I think scientists realized this and, and they decided to develop um, these ultra potent payloads so that they could kill a cell uh, well below that speed limit and they, they could easily get enough into the cell. But in some ways, this uh, the pendulum swung too far in the field. And so they developed these ultra potent payloads. And I, I wanna say this, you know, that, that please note, I'm saying this with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, there's been this real, really uh, Herculean effort by many scientists to reach the exciting stage uh, we are. Uh, but I also want to highlight all these hard-fought lessons from the field so we can benefit from them uh, moving on. And, and so with, with these ultra-potent payloads, these uh, kill cells in a Petri dish very effectively. And so when you have cells in a monolayer in a Petri dish, they're, they're very exposed. So just a tiny amount of drug will reach all the cells. Um, and, and many people often talk about ADCs having these the target specificity of an antibody and the potency of a small molecule. However, I'd point out that they also have the delivery challenges of getting a large molecule into the tumors and the toxicity of the small molecules. And so these ultra-potent payloads were so toxic, uh, patients could only tolerate these very small doses. And so this might be okay with hematological cancers, where many of the cells might be present in the blood and the drugs have easy access to the target, but it doesn't work for, for solid tumors. And this goes back to what we talked about before, the drugs literally got stuck at the doorstep of, of the tumors and they couldn't enter. So it was like this trickle of water in a, in a dried up riverbed. It just couldn't enter, penetrate the, the tumor enough to reach all the cells. And so what, what our lab has shown is that sometimes by reducing the potency of the payload, that uh, we're putting fewer drugs uh, per antibody, this allows you, this lowers the potency of the ADC, but allows you to give higher doses. Uh, and so adding an extra antibody can do this or lowering the drug to antibody ratio. And this gives you a much higher dose of the drug, which penetrates deeper into the tissue and reaches more cells. So I think that's a lot of what we've seen with some of the topoisomerase inhibitors. They're more well-tolerated. You can give them at higher doses, and that's able to penetrate and reach the cells uh, more effectively. And so one 
a potential strategy is, is essentially using the lowest potency payload that allows you to kill the cells because that's going to be the most well tolerated for your target. You can give it at higher doses. It's going to reach more cells and ultimately be more effective in the clinic. It might not look that way initially in a Petri dish on a monolayer or even in animals for that matter, which often tolerate these payloads at a much um, greater level and allows you to dose the animals higher than what you can achieve in the clinic. So uh, selecting a molecule with a potency that is well tolerated, but still enough to kill the cell is often where you get the maximum clinical benefit. So, so selecting a molecule with the lowest potency that still kills the cells will allow you to dose high enough in the clinic to reach all the cells, but maintain uh, efficient cell killing. And so I think another aspect of this is the type of, of payload class. So we know from small molecule chemotherapy that some tumors are more sensitive to DNA damaging agents. Others are more sensitive to microtubule inhibitors or topoisomerase inhibitors. So selecting the class of agent for a particular indication and then matching the potency uh, for your particular target will often give you the most effective uh, therapeutic window when you get to the clinic. Great. Thanks. That was very insightful to learn about these different payloads and how we should be matching them with the uh, target and, and the antibody. So I, I had a, another question about your lab and the collaborations that you have done. We have a lot of listeners who are, you know, maybe in academia and are looking to make collaborations with industry. And I noticed that your lab has a lot of industry collaborations. So it'd be great to understand from you how the interplay between industry and academia works and how you've, uh, you know, used this to help advance the field further and also support your lab plus the industry uh, collaborations? Sure, that, that's a great question. And, and there are lots of different models uh, for collaborations between academia and industry. So for instance, one can develop intellectual property and then license it to pharmaceutical companies or, or start uh, your own business. Uh, and we have some uh, work headed in, in this direction. Uh, however, the most important goal for our lab, in my view, is having a positive impact on, on drug development. So helping to get new and more effective drugs in patients. So to develop a drug, it takes years and you know, roughly a billion US dollars to get a drug into the market. And so my question as an academic is how can we best leverage our efforts, efforts to have an impact? So one of the advantages of our simulations is that they can be applied to a broad spectrum of agents. So this allows us to work with multiple companies to help streamline development. So if it's a target, we can provide guidance on what type of antibody, linker, or payloads would be beneficial. Or if the company owns a particular asset, then what targets or what indications would be most useful? So this has really allowed us to apply our work to many different agents, um, and it's been greatly beneficial for us too. We have the this benefit and, and privilege of working with some of the most advanced and, and promising therapeutics uh, under development. And I think the potential of ADCs is just starting to be realized. And my view is it's not a zero-sum game. There are still many targets out there, many payloads ready to be developed. So it's not an easy class of drug to develop, but I think it's possible and it's definitely worth it based on the clinical results that we've seen. 
So another way of viewing this is you know, as an academic, I, I also view my role as to increase the knowledge base so that pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry with all of its large scale resources um, that are, are needed to carry drug to market uh, can do so more efficiently. So in that regard, we're kind of working at this bottleneck and, and this bottleneck is sometimes referred to as, as the valley of death, right? It's, it's trying to get drugs from an effective demonstration in mice and maybe a, an academic preclinical publication. And that's on one side of the valley going to an effective drug in humans on, on the other side. And so many drugs fail when, when they're translating from success in animals to success in the clinic. And so we're really trying to bridge that valley uh, with the help of our collaborators. And computational work, I think, is a key way of helping to do that, to scale up some of these results to see what is, um, what is possible in the clinic. And so, frankly, working with many different companies uh, in, uh, pharmaceutical, uh, um, in the pharmaceutical industry, we see a lot of similar patterns in this field. And, and a lot of these companies are facing very similar issues um, that, that we see in our own work as well. And so by bringing some of these shared challenges into the public domain, obviously not the intellectual property side, but just the, the concepts, I think everyone can, can benefit. And, and again, I think there's a lot of potential in this field. And, and you know, personally, it's been uh, very fulfilling. I, I think I, I really like the opportunity to work with all these fantastic people. Uh, I think one of my favorite parts about this field is being able to work with a, a broad array of uh, experts and, and to learn from them. So I've had the opportunity to work with chemists, protein engineers, biologists, immunologists, clinicians, mathematicians. Uh, it's really hard to find another field quite so integrated and, and interdisciplinary as, as ADCs. Thank you for sharing that perspective, Brad. It it really um, sounds very exciting, and uh, looks like you're you're getting the best of both worlds in some ways, uh, collaborating with industry, but also being able to do uh, research that you're interested in. I and I'm very um, excited to read all the publications that you publish. Uh, they're always uh, intriguing and have something new. So uh, looking forward to your your next publications. I guess uh, as we wrap up here. Maybe uh, share some of your thoughts on what we should be watching for in the ADC space over the next few years. Certainly, that, that's always a, a fun question to answer and uh, looking ahead to uh, to what we should expect. So uh, I, I think I'll answer this in, in two parts. So I'll say what I think we'll see in the, in the short term and then what I, what I hope to see in, in the long run within the field. So I think we're going to continue to see new agents coming to market, uh, going after new targets, uh, as well as all old targets that have been uh, kind of re-optimized based on the, the lessons we've learned in the field. So I think in the, the short term, we're still heavily going to be uh, or heavily focused on cytotoxic agents, but I think this format uh, can be applicable to other types of uh, uh, payloads as well. But the nice part about focusing on cytotoxics in the short term is that I think we're going to get much broader coverage of different types of cancers uh, by going after different targets and, and different tumor-associated antigens. And I, I still think there's a lot of potential uh, within that field uh, focusing on cytotoxic ADCs. So uh, that, that's the first part. Now, longer term, what do I hope to see? Uh, so kind of what's the vision for the field? So I would say what I hope to see in the future is ADCs playing a, a key role in polytherapy for stimulating a, a strong immune response. So 
anyone in, in the cancer world, you know, checkpoint inhibitors have really made significant progress and, and they've really opened our eyes to what's possible when you engage uh, the immune system in cancer therapy. I, I think the sad fact is that most patients currently don't have these strong responses. And so, you know, one of the ways to view this is most tumors aren't primed to attack a tumor by just releasing a single break, like a, a PD-1 uh, molecule. And what, in some ways, an analogy, this is similar to how uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors helped with oncogene-addicted tumors. So some patients respond extremely well if they're addicted to this pathway, but other patients have this more complex web of signaling inside the cell that you need to untangle with uh, maybe attacking it from multiple angles. So I think we're seeing something similar with the immune responses, that some patients have uh, a more resistant uh, phenotype. And, you know, several groups have shown that multiple drugs are often needed to drive an immune response in these more suppressive uh, immune environments. So a combination of releasing the brakes and, and pressing the gas, uh, maybe kicking the tires, if we continue with, with this analogy, attacking the tumor from, from multiple angles. And this is a major uh, problem with uh, drug development. Uh, even just from a regulatory standpoint. So how do you approve a four or five drug regimen if some of the individual drugs don't have a response on their own? And this is one area where I think ADCs can help bridge this gap because with an antibody drug conjugate, you're provided with several mechanisms at once, right? You can kill the cells with the payloads to both slow growth and, and drive immunogenic cell death. You can block key signaling pathways with the antibody itself. And you can prime the immune system with some of the FC uh, effector functions with, with the FC domain. So in the future, we might be able to isolate individual paths for an individual patient. But in, in the near term, I, I think these targeted cytotoxics can reach a broad array of patients and stimulate an immune response without having the immune suppression that many small molecule chemotherapeutics uh, show. Uh, so even if this is a temporary bridge, I think it's important to help us get to that, that ultimate vision. Beyond the cytotoxic payloads, I think this format works well with a number of other drugs, and this could include immune-stimulating payloads, um, both small molecules and, and biologics, so getting into the bispecifics. Uh, and I think these agonists are going to be tricky to work with. Anytime you're working with the immune system, uh, there's a delicate balance so you don't drive a cytokine storm and, and have extreme toxicity, but getting enough of a stimulation to get a response. So the therapeutic may be a, a little bit narrow, uh, similar to how ADCs are, but once we've honed in on the correct balance, I think we're going to see some significant advantages. So to, to summarize, despite these, these bumps in the road, I think the future for ADCs is very bright, and uh, I'm really excited for, for the field. Indeed, uh, ADCs are a fascinating class of therapeutics, and I agree with you. It looks like the future is really bright for, for these therapeutics. So thank you, Greg. Uh, it's been great chatting with you today, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us and sharing your experience for our listeners. And also thank you to our listeners for tuning in, and please join us again as we release new episodes every month. Enjoy listening to this and some of our previous episodes on the Chain website. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.